This podcast is made possible by Workday and U.S. Bank. Hi, this is Mitch Pipert, CFO of Thomas Publishing, and you're listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 340. From Middle Market Media, this is CFO Thought Leader, where we speak to finance leaders about driving change within their organizations. I'm Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Vic Chenoweth, CFO of PlanView, about the changing role of private equity inside the software sector. When it comes to private equity, it's no longer about buying underperforming companies and flipping them for a quick profit, says Chenoweth. Instead, it's about strategic partnerships and building stronger companies and products. We'll let Vic Chenoweth explain in his own words after these words from our sponsor. Just as a house needs a good foundation, your business needs a solid technology foundation. At Workday, a different approach to finance technology is giving growing mid-size organizations a distinct advantage. Workday's flexible architecture means that when business conditions change, finance can easily make changes to business processes. To learn more about how a finance system from Workday supports mid-size organizations from the ground up, visit us at Workday.com. Workday, built for the future. Hello, we're speaking with Vic Chenoweth, CFO of PlanView. Vic, good morning. Welcome. Morning, Jack. Thanks. Good, good to have you with us, and as always, we like to find out a little bit about our guests as we uh, kick off our interviews and uh, ask them to step back in time with us and fill us in a little about their, their path to the CFO office and what were those career experiences they feel helped prepare them. What would you share with us? Uh, the first career experience I'd share was my first uh, corporate finance role after the investment banking world. I joined a company called Cray, which was a public company. And about three months after I joined, it, it hit a crisis mode, let's call it. And uh, it was kind of a thrown into the fire situation. I was early in my career. And that just created an opportunity for me to do a few things, which was you know, solve big problems with big implications. And that allowed me to, to accelerate my career. But more importantly, I took away a, 
kind of a learning from it that I've extended and to, to people that work for me, which is probably something a lot of people know, which is you have to do the job before you have the job. And that's really what I had the opportunity to do in that particular situation. Also, um, capabilities matter. So at that, at the company before I arrived there, there was a strategy and there wasn't um, an execution to that strategy. And so we ended up having to build, rebuild capabilities to actually realize that. And that created a great link with what PlanView is doing because uh, one of the things we do at PlanView is connect the dots between strategy and execution, including capabilities. Wanted to point out, you did not uh, come up through the public accounting uh, ranks. Uh, you took a different path. You do have an MBA, uh, I'll point out as well. And uh, you were a treasurer at Cray, is that right? Uh, treasury is one thing I owned. Uh, I was a VP of finance and treasurer. So I had planning and analysis, strategic planning and, uh, and treasury. Would you, uh, did you have an eye you know, for the CFO office? Was that the ultimate goal as you came up through the ranks or were you open to different options? So I actually did a startup prior to uh, graduate school. And one of the things I learned there is that I didn't know enough about finance to be as effective in the business world as I would like to have been. And so when I, when I went and earned my MBA, I had a focus on finance, uh, a secondary and marketing. And pretty quickly after joining Cray, that is what I wanted to do, but I probably established it back then. Now, when, when you arrive at PlanView, uh, did you have a, an idea in mind as far as the role you wanted to create or type of CFO you wanted to be? Uh, I did, really. Ultimately, my job is to help the CEO uh, at PlanView, that's Greg Gilmore, my executive team, peers, and the board to transform the company into what the board uh, and the shareholders want to see. And... That consists of balancing uh, a couple things. One is growth and profitability, and the other is customer and employee experience. And so it was really how I'm going to help uh, Greg, really, most specifically, make that happen. And it was a pretty significant transformation in terms of what PlanView is today versus what it was just three years ago, having just recently um, been acquired by the, an initial private equity investor about three and a half years ago. And subsequent to that, we've actually sold to another private equity investor, Toma Bravo. So it's been a really great journey, and uh, we did have a vision uh, that was fortunately aligned with, with uh, my key partner, which is Greg. So private equity is a, a big part of your world today, but uh, it's interesting. I mean, the venture capital community still probably gets the lion's share buzz out there in relation to uh, software. Uh, but private equity is definitely uh, seems to be making inroads here. What's up? You know, wh why do we see firms like this one moving towards private equity now? Well, software for a long time, and that's really what I think about when I think about tech is software, because that's the, the area that I primarily spend time in, changes how companies do their jobs and how people do their jobs or how companies think, get things done. And we're constantly trying to be, do things more efficiently. Uh, we're trying to do things faster. We're trying to innovate more quickly. Uh, we have the fact that we have a different workforce. Right? We have probably a more mobile workforce than we've ever had in the past, and technology allows us to connect those dots. And private equity, of course, wants to think about taking advantage of those. You also have the recurring revenue phenomenon that exists in software as well. And recurring revenue or subscription is what most, most folks think of it as. It could be maintenance as well. Um, that fuels the opportunity for sustainability and sustained growth and profit. And so 
I would suggest that that's a, a key driver to why, or a couple key drivers to why private equity is still focused on software. Uh, Tomo Bravo certainly is, and they've been a great partner. Uh, my prior, prior company was owned by TPG. They were also a great partner as a private equity firm. I think there's always maybe some apprehension uh, among CFOs who perhaps have a new uh, partner from the private equity world. What would be some uh, pointers or maybe best practices that you can share with us in terms of how to, how to work alongside your, your private equity partners? I would say the first thing to do is to know your industry and know where you fit in the industry and understand that there's growth or there is not growth. Be uh, self-aware. Plan View, fortunately, is an industry that's high growth for the leader in the industry, and, uh, and that's a good starting point. Uh, with that, you have the ability to scale, and that's what I think about is scalability. So um, private equity firms want to see growth in revenue, want to see growth in EBITDA. They also know that that's not going to happen without a strong market. Uh, what sometimes may get lost with some is that the importance of employees and customers to make that realization happen. And that's probably the, the most difficult balance I have with private equity owners is balancing the EBITDA or earnings ramp with um, maintaining or, or improving uh, employee engagement and customer success because it, it won't happen without those things. We need customers uh, to buy and to renew, and we need employees to service those customers effectively. And we've done a really good job uh, at Plan View. Fortunately, Greg uh, has, is a huge believer in people first. It's really customers and people first, shareholders last. And if you're able to maintain that, uh, it, it, it works. We've, we've, we at Plan View have been able to improve what we call our rule of, so it's kind of a key metric we think of, which is the combination of EBITDA expressed as a percent and revenue growth expressed as a percent. We've grown that from 10% to we'll do north of 40% in 2018. And we've done that while improving employee engagement and customer satisfaction at the same time. And that balance is really the biggest challenge. And uh, oddly enough, coming back to a question you asked earlier, what do, why do uh, private equity firms care about software technology? Well, software and technology is a key enabler to make that type of scalability happen. Well, Vic, we like to ask our guests to tell us a little bit about their company's offerings today and what sets them apart in the marketplace? What is their competitive edge? What would you tell us? So PlanView uh, participates in what we call the work and resource management space. It's really a category that PlanView has spearheaded in creating. And it's about enabling companies to integrate strategy and execution really across all their work and resources. So what we call big R resources. It's not just people. Um, it very much is people, but it's also technology. It's money. Um, it's other assets. Um, and we ensure alignment and uh, capacity to accomplish key objectives. And uh, probably the best way for me to articulate what that means is to use an example. So I'll, I'll take an example, a uh, uh, manufacturing company that was a partner of ours. And before we even coined the term work and resource management, they had really adopted the concept. And they, they had um, a strategy which was they wanted to, they, they needed to bring more product to market uh, more quickly because right? there was just an opportunity for them to do that. To do that, in order to achieve that, they needed to, to establish capabilities that would allow them to do that, because it's easy to say, hey, let's, let's do a lot more faster. Um, and so they came to PlanView. We leveraged our software and, and really deployed every asset we have across uh, their product organization 
and they'd already deployed PlanView in their in their IT organization. And the the end result, probably the most important KPI that they took took away from that or realized, was they they were able to reduce their new product introduction uh, process from nine months to three months. And that accomplishes a, a few things, as you can imagine. Uh, it is faster time to revenue, so actually higher revenue, and it's also lower cost because I'm not wasting six months on an old product and actually moved it on that those resources onto a newer product. And we're able to help them do that by by um, taking a look at all their resources in a portfolio view, as well as at the execution level. So, uh, you know, how do people work every day, as well as how do we at the higher level um, think about portfolio level decisions. And so that's that's really what we help comp companies do is is realize those key capabilities so that they can take their strategy and execute it effectively. You've emphasized uh, that PlanView has a focus on the customer experience, but um, are there other metrics you would share with us in terms of how you measure that and how uh, you have a sort of a sharp focus on it today? Uh, customer health is, is one of the most important aspects of being a of scalability and sustainability. And so um, absolutely, MPS uh, matters, customer satisfaction matters, uh, retention matters, um, and a key kind of preliminary uh, KPI before retention is is add-on sales. So we want to know that our customers are not just they haven't just bought and uh, and uh, deployed the software, but they're vested. And for us, vested means they're going to renew and they're going to add. And so we always want to look at adding more software sales well in advance of, of of ever having come to the discussion of a renewal. And we want to look at are they adding more than one product. Right? Or do they have a uh, PPM or uh, PPM product? Do they have a collaborative work management product from us? Um, do they have a uh, enterprise architecture product from us? So I could keep going on on KPIs all day on any part of the business you want, but uh, it, it certainly starts with a customer. So this is when we ask for a finance strategic moment or an aha moment. And again, uh, this doesn't have to be while you were at PlanView. It might have been earlier in your career when given your lines of sight into the uh, organization as a senior finance executive, you were able to see a de uh, a, an opportunity or a risk that led you to uh, – perhaps point the organization in a new direction. What, what comes to mind? Is there anything you'd share with us? So my financeagic moment is, is probably less having to do with kind of uh, directing a company in, in a certain direction. There's, that happens every day probably. Um, mine is more around uh, sustainability and leverage of an understanding of the numbers across the company and the connecting of those dots. So uh, it, when I was at my company just prior to, to PlanView, uh, I, I built a financial model, and I really educated the executive team on how the financial model works, from a detailed revenue model to P&L with key ratios. Um, and the detailed revenue model was really important because we were recurring revenue, and recurring revenues at the time was relatively new to folks. And that informed a lot of different decisions that we ended up making as a company, recognizing and understanding how that, how that worked. The kind of strategic moment of it was really taking that and extending it to the broader organization. And um, after I presented to a handful of executives, they said, all right, I would like to share this with my team. So I went and shared it with a few teams. And then what I ended up doing is creating a whiteboard exercise that I shared with the entire company. 
and that was about a thousand people. We did it over a webcast, and then I would come in and do that with different functions. And the benefit, the nice thing about that is it did a couple things. A, the whiteboard is engaging. It allows a back and forth uh, kind of presentation. But more importantly, I'm able to take the concept of those high-level P&L revenue model all the way down to a function and then down to what an individual does. And it allows an individual to connect the dots um, a little bit more than they maybe could otherwise with what that greater purpose is of what the company is trying to accomplish. Um, that was pretty beneficial, and it was kind of financegic for me, which was the fact that it does engage a broader organization. I want to uh, touch on talent with you and discover uh, how uh, what your CFO mindset uh, might be when it comes to building a workforce today. We always share this anecdote where uh, it, it's been on the uh, social media channels for quite some time where the CFO asks the CEO what happens if we spend money on training and our people uh, then leave. And that's, again, the CFO asking the CEO the question. And then the CEO responds, what happens if we don't and they stay? Um, again, sort of the CFO is sort of the uh, maybe the bad guy there where he's uh, not willing to invest in, in people. Uh, whether it's true or untrue or reality, what would you tell us about uh, when it comes to the workforce? What are your priorities as a finance leader? Uh, engagement and enablement. So the concept of not investing because it saves money is is really a short-sighted view. Uh, longer term, uh, it doesn't actually make any sense uh, to the point of the follow-on from the CEO example that you just brought up. So we, we invest in employees. We invest in where they work. We invest in how they work, the tools they have, um, the enablement uh, side of it. We want employees to be engaged and to be enabled. Um, I'm sure you've read studies yourself, as have others, an engaged employee compared to an unengaged employee from a productivity level is wholly different. And we want employees to be engaged. It's a better experience for them. It's They're going to be longer-term employees. Um, it kind of comes back to that concept that I mentioned earlier, which is the scalability. I think about scalability in almost everything I do. Um, so I very rarely make short-term decisions. In, invariably, I, I try to think about what is this going to mean tomorrow, next week, next year, and that's really what that investment in employee is about. Are some going to leave? Absolutely, some are going to leave. We have a mobile workforce, uh, but they, the, the best employees stay. Um, that's the case for Plan View, certainly, and that's what we want to promote. I'm wondering if there's something that you think finance can do, and again, I've, I've talked to a few CFOs recently who have mentioned to us how greater transparency in the organization, pushing numbers that perhaps hadn't always been visible to the, the workforce out there. I'm wondering how culturally finance can influence the workforce to be more engaged. So uh, in my experience, finance has been core and central to, to employee engagement in, on, the, on what you brought up, which is around sharing numbers, visibility of how the company is doing, and credibility around that. Right. Sometimes the CEO may say something and it sounds like CEO talk, whereas the finance person says it and it's a little bit more grounded. Um, that's one piece. The other thing that finance people can do is empathize. Right. So I try to encourage my analysts, for example, who have business partners who run functions to put themselves in their virtual shoes and go, all right, what are the decisions that I'm facing, that my business partner is facing every day, and what, what would my decision be? 
um, essentially I ask my panelists to aspire to do your business partner's job. And by doing that, you're able to put yourself into somebody else's shoes and go, all right, what do I need to know? How would, how would I be um, more capable at my job or more engaged at my job? And what can I do as your finance partner to help with that? Just that mindset helps uh, find opportunities to, to grow that engagement. Okay, we're going to move to our mentoring round where we ask you several quick questions intended to inspire and mentor future finance leaders. What's one thing that's exciting you about finance and business today? Well, my perspective is that, is that finance is in the middle of everything. And there's really very few decisions that happen in a company that don't happen with finance at the table. And that is that can be great. It can also be a curse. And so – uh, you know, along with the fact that that's exciting, I would encourage people to think about what that means. And the fact is you can't be everything to everybody at any given time. And so you're going to have to, you know, pick and choose or balance where you, where you put your time and figure out how do you prioritize and focus. So it, it, it comes, it's a you know, double-edged sword, so to speak. But uh, I love that fact about finance. And I also, um, you know, worry about it because I, I myself can even get overextended from time to time. Um, and so, it's a, it's a, again, it's a double-edged sword. Is there a piece of advice you wish someone had given you before you stepped into the CFO office? What would that have been? Before I stepped into the CFO office, a uh, piece of advice that I would like to have received. Um, if, if anything, I, I, I would have benefited uh, – I would have benefited from having more of a technology background. I think my ability to empathize with sales is high. I actually had a sales role at one point in time. That helps. Uh, my, my ability to understand and empathize with what uh, professional services and customer care do day-to-day is high. I'm limited on the product side because I just, I'm not a developer. And if I had a little bit more of a developing background, that would be good. It's actually something I look for when I hire people. Um, I think about their technical capabilities on a couple levels. In, in finance, obviously, it's around, you know, can you work in Excel and, you know, the financial system. But if somebody has a programming background, the probability of them being successful in finance is actually a little bit higher um, for, for multiple reasons. But if somebody could have given me the advice that you should go learn programming, that would have been, uh, that would have been a, a good investment for me. Is there a personal habit that you believe has contributed to your professional success? Um, probably, uh, I would point to uh, something that I do weekly, monthly, uh, yearly uh, at different levels, which is the ability to step back. So uh, oftentimes people get in kind of tunnel vision around what they're doing because so, you're so focused, which is a great thing. Um, but for me to be effective, and I think for any leader, quite frankly, to be effective, you have to have the ability to step back and kind of divorce yourself of everything that's going on and rethink about the world because the world changes so fast and what you thought you were you, you needed to do can change overnight sometimes. Uh, at the same time, you have to balance not, you know, not, not taking, strat- taking strategy du jour. So it's a little bit, um, as I mentioned, with something earlier, a double-edged sword. But my ability to step back um, and my proactive approach to stepping back and rethinking things has been really beneficial for me. It was always technology for you. Is that right? I mean, or, where, did you consider opportunities outside the tech realm? I, I was in investment banking for a very short period of time after graduate school, 
and then I ended up joining um, a customer of mine uh, straight straight from there, and it just happened to be into technology. Uh, and I was in technology even before that with my startup company I did. So it's always been technology. Could it be something outside of technology? Uh, probably, but just given the, where the world is at today and where the market is, and you can see it with private equity firms where they're investing, private equity firms are really, typically the people there work there are really smart. They know where they should be investing. Um, I, I would suspect that I end up staying in technology throughout my career. Yeah, Vic, it looks like you moved out, uh, moved around quite a bit during the course of your career. What would you uh, tell us about relocation and some of the decision-making behind that? Well, the first thing I'd tell you is that it's a lot easier earlier in your career before you have kids, uh, which is really when I probably did most of my relocation. Uh, I finished graduate school in Seattle and ended up relocating to the Bay Area uh, to work for uh, investment bank, back to Seattle to work for a, a company, uh, and then... Uh, I actually moved to Orange County and then back to Seattle. But once the, once I had moved to Orange County, I had, I had um, children, and that was probably the hard one. And so that's one of the reasons I actually moved back to Seattle. And so I uh, ended up spending about a dozen years in Seattle. And then it recently, just in the last two and a half years, relocated to Austin. That was probably a hard decision a hard decision from the family side. It's, uh, I have uh, teenage girls, and uh, moving teenage girls can be a challenge. Um, but in this particular case, the opportunity at Plan B was overwhelming. Uh, it's such a great match for what I do. Uh, it was a great match with the people here and the business. And Austin just happens to be one of those places that almost anyone can be happy in. And uh, so my family's happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a hard change. And uh, if it weren't Austin, it probably would have been hard to do. Thought Leader listeners, we hope you're enjoying our interview with Vic Chanowith of PlanView. We posed a few extra questions to Vic knowing he would supply some generous and candid answers, which he did. He also has a book pick for you, as well as his 12-month finance leader priorities, right after these words from our sponsor. You want smart, clear, and honest guidance to help you meet the financial goals of your middle market business. With U.S. Bank, you have a partner who will help you find the right solutions to help your organization reduce payment costs, enhance control, improve cash flow, and expand your spend visibility. U.S. Bank's dedication to making ethical decisions and doing the right thing is at the heart of what they do, and their efforts haven't gone unnoticed. They've been named a 2017 World's Most Ethical Company for the third consecutive year by the Ethisphere Institute. To learn more, visit uspayment.com slash middle market. Is there a book you'd recommend uh, to aspiring finance leaders? Um, I don't know if the book I'd recommend is necessarily to a finance person per se, but uh, it's a book for probably anybody in business. I actually read it in graduate school. It's called The Goal uh, by Eliyahu Goldratt. And it, it kind of touches on operations, which connects with finance because there's stats around it. Uh, it also thinks about, you can think about product within the, the concept. And it actually aligns really closely with some of the things that PlanView does around resource optimization. Almost invariably when things uh, don't happen, it's because there's a block of, of resources somewhere and things are getting kind of pent up. And the goal kind of goes through how do you deal with that. And it does it in a, in a format that is easy to read. It's not a uh, 
as a finance leader, what are your priorities over the next 12 months? My biggest priority is really uh, helping PlanView uh, continue to realize the work and resource management uh, category creation and the th anything I can do to help make that happen. Uh, there's operational aspects to that, continuing to make sure we you know, put the right amount of money towards, uh, towards R&D, um, also aligning sales with the go-to-market associated with that because we are creating the category that takes uh, work and investment. Uh, that's, that's really where I'm focused for the, for the next, probably quite frankly, two or three years. Nick Chenoweth, thank you for joining us on CFO Thought Leader. Thanks, Jack. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And don't forget, Thought Leader listeners, you can now go premium at cfothoughtleader.com.